I'll ask you now to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. As Malachi chapter 2 is where we have found ourselves, where we've made our way to uh, in our trek through the book of Malachi. And I hope that this uh, has been as enlightening and challenging a time for you as it has been for me, as I've absolutely loved leading us through this incredible book with an incredible message and challenge for us as the people of God. But before we dive in this morning, as I did last week, I want to uh, just give us a brief synopsis and, and refresher on what we saw last week, as I know a few of us have slept since then, and then uh, I dive and look into where God is leading us this morning in His Word. And so as we looked last week at verses 6 through 14 of chapter 1, and we really started to get into the heart of this proclamation from the Lord, this pronouncement through Malachi, from the Lord through Malachi. And we saw how uh, the worship of the priests in particular and leading the people of God in worship was abhorrent. It was just inadequate to what God had demanded and required and truly what he deserves in our worship. And so in this, we saw that God was in essence saying that the reason why he has seemed absent to them or why they can't figure out is because of their direct disobedience. And so our first point last week was that God's presence is evident when God's people exhibit a posture of repentance and obedience. And so for us as the people of God in living our lives, our new life in Christ, that when we are exhibiting a constant posture of repentance and when we're exhibiting a constant posture of obedience, that the presence of God in us will be evident and undeniable and shine so bright that the world around us will not be able to deny it within us. That They will see that there is something different about those people who live out God's Ways. And so as we move through this and we, we saw this last week, we saw how God's authority is not dependent upon my approval. That God was demanding, where is my honor and where is your fear of me? That God already has all authority whether we are following his ways or not. And so as he commands us to follow his ways, there is a day coming when every knee will bow in heaven on earth. And so the, the question is not if we will bow to God's authority, but when and then in what manner will our hearts be in that moment. And so then we continue to see that the issue for these priests wasn't that they were failing to exhibit or follow what God has said and, and doing the sacrifices and making these things done in, in worshiping the Lord in the tabernacle. But, excuse me, the temple, but the issue was their hearts. And so we saw that biblical knowledge does not equate to spiritual maturity. That having a knowledge, a head knowledge of God's word, if it doesn't affect a heart that is corrupted by sin and, and cause that heart to fall in repentance and fall at God's grace and mercy, then there's something wrong. And so we, we, that in, in turn enlightened us to the fact that half-hearted worship cannot hide an unrepentant heart. 
And as we finished last week out, we saw these truths that we are saved by grace alone through faith. As God said, I will no longer accept your sacrifices. But that he said, my name will be made known among the nations. And so as we saw that, we saw that we are justified by the work of Christ alone and that God is is getting ready to usher in a new sacrificial system in which a one sacrifice, the great sacrifice, will be made once for all in Jesus. And this is all for the glory of God alone. And so that brings us to this week as we get ready to look at one other takeaway that we had from last week that I didn't really uh, have much time to get to uh, was that the indictment that the Lord is making against these people and against the priests is the mixing of culture and worship and combining the two together so that there you have this ability to say that you are part of the culture and have this false sense or this false idea that in being a part of the culture, you are somehow worshiping. And we see this in our own culture because a huge implication of the Lord shutting down the temple practices and the temple offerings is that he was effectively shutting down the entire way in which their society functioned. As everything revolved around the festival calendar at the temple, business operated through there, society operated there, all of this entangled with worship. And so as their society and their cultural norms became entangled with how they worshiped the Lord, we saw this ability to have an identity as part of the culture and have a false identity as part of the people of God. And what the Lord is calling out here is that simply going through the motions is not good enough. Simply saying that you're a part of me, but not actually exhibiting a heart that has been changed by my word is not good enough. And so we have this same issue in our day in which we have uh, this lukewarm, comfortable version of Christianity in which we can simply think that because we're born in a particular region that, and have some knowledge of God, that that in any way equates to a heart that has been transformed by God's grace and mercy to us in the cross. And so we must caution ourselves in this. And in honor of Reformation Day, I want to share with you one of my favorite stories from the Reformation. As as we celebrate today, that day which uh, the Reformation was sparked by Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the, the church, the door of the church in Wittenberg. And This story, though, one of my favorite stories from the Reformation, actually kind of predates the Reformation, depending on how you look at it. But I want to tell you the story of Jan Hus. Jan Hus was a pastor, and he was inspired by the work of John Wycliffe, who, of course, was martyred for uh, the only charge of having translated the Bible out of Latin. And in this, he dared, Jan Hus dared to speak out on God's word as our ultimate authority. And in doing so, this got him excommunicated from the Catholic Church. He was imprisoned for six months, and he was ordered to recant. And Huss, whose nickname was Goose, because this is what his name meant in his native Czech, Huss proclaimed, You may roast the goose, but a hundred years from now, a swan will arise whose singing you will not be able to sight. And so after refusing to recant, Huss was led to the stake 
past a burning pile of his own books, which he had dared to write on the authority of God's Word as our only authority. And while in the process of being chained to the stake, Huss proclaimed, My Lord Jesus Christ was bound with a harder chain than this one for my sake. So why should I be ashamed of this rusty chain? And they told him once more to recant, but he refused, proclaiming, What I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. And exactly 102 years after Huss's death, a young monk named Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the Catholic Church in Wittenberg, Germany, fanning the flames of the Reformation that Wycliffe and Huss had sparked. And so as we look to today's text, this, humbling, this is a humbling challenge for us to rid ourselves of any idea of some form of comfortable cultural Christianity. And ensure that we are humbly and repentantly submitting to the work of Christ on the cross while walking in steadfast obedience to God's word as our ultimate authority. And as we look to God's word as our authority, we will be challenged to get off the bench and join God's missional movement that is his church. And so with this as our goal, as we look to God's word this morning, I'll ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word as we look at Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And again, I'll ask you to stand as you are able. And there in Malachi chapter 2, starting verse 1, we read, Therefore, this decree is for you, priests, if you don't listen and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I have already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. Look, I am going to rebuke your descendants and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should desire instruction from his mouth, because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies." You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So in turn, I have made you despised and humiliated before all the people because you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in your instruction. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you that it is your breath in our lungs that moves us to cry out and praise. And in fact, this is what you are at work to do, to make your glory known and declared among all the nations. And we see this in your word because your word is our ultimate authority as it moves us to join you in that work. And so, God, we pray that as we look to your word for instruction and reproof and challenge this morning, that it would do so that it would captivate our hearts and it would change us completely so that we may follow you in heartfelt repentance and obedience. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So there, there's a word there at the beginning of verse 1 that we need to take note of. And that is the word, therefore. So anytime we see the word, therefore, in Scripture, it means we need to go back and see what it's there for. And so in looking at this, it means because of or in accordance with. So looking at this word, therefore, this is one of those opportunities or one of those occasions where our modern chapters and verses can sometimes throw us off in looking at the complete picture and context of what God is doing. Because if we were doing some sort of devotional or Bible study and we simply started with verse chapter 2 and verse 1 and then we didn't go back to look, then we would be missing some of what God is doing here. And so uh, we can go back simply to just to verse 14 of chapter 1 gives us a great summation of everything the Lord has proclaimed to this point. And there we see the deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. Therefore, this decree is for you, priests. So we see the Lord reinforces that this message is for the priests based on who he is. So looking back at that verse 14 there, for I am a great king, so based on who he is and then based on what he has done. And so he is the king of these people because he has entered covenant relationship with them. Indeed, the king of the earth. But it's specifically speaking here, the king of Israel, as he has entered covenant relationship. So he is doing this based off who he is and what he has done and then what he has set out to do. The work that he is purposing them for, indeed, purposed them for from their founding. My name will be feared among the nations. And so because of this, because this is my work, because this is what I have set out to do, because of my lordship, because of my relationship, because my glory will be made known among the nations, this decree is for you, priests. And so here we find our first truth this morning. If you're following along in this morning's outline, our answers will be provided on the screen behind me, and I'll make sure to highlight those as we move through. But the first point has already been provided for you, and that is that the call of God's people to be missional is not optional. That the call of God's people to be missional is not optional. As indeed, the entire pronouncement from the Lord to this point is focused on the fact that God's people are profaning his name among the nations when indeed their purpose is to make his name known among the nations. That his entire point throughout this, uh, to this point, is that his name will be feared, his name will be known, his name will be made great among the nations. And so they can continue to follow him in obedience to that work, but even in their disobedience, his will will be done, and he will make his name known. And the Lord explicit, to this point, the Lord explicitly states that this is the purpose for which he is at work, to make his name great among the nations. So as the people of God, we have an imperative to join him in this work. And indeed, it is what we have been created to do. Now, 
as I discussed just a while ago, one of the big takeaways from chapter 1 is that we need, to be make sh- we need to make sure that we are not simply making ourselves busy with activities that have the buzzword of missions or kingdom work, while in actuality just being things that make us feel good instead of being actually productive for the kingdom. Because the main issue highlighted for us last week wasn't that the priests had ceased to worship the Lord or ceased performing their duties or offering sacrifices. The main issue was that they were doing so without honor, without reverence, without a heart that had been changed by the truth of God's Word. And this is what the Lord outlines directly for us in verse 2 this morning. If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I have already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. Now, if you're with us this last Wednesday, these words would sound very familiar to you because if, and if you weren't with us this last Wednesday, I'll be honest with you, you missed an incredible time of worship and prayer as we came together both as a church family, but as individual families, which God has created and blessed us with. And we did so in prayer over one another. And in doing so, we looked to Deuteronomy 6, where we see Moses establish and delivering, uh, in delivering the word of the Lord to the people of Israel, we see God establish the family as the foundation for spiritual development. In fact, the foundation of where his name is to be made great is first among the family, and then as the family goes out, they are to continue to make his name great. And this command in Deuteronomy 6, if you're taking notes, you can just write Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6 there. We saw, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. And the Lord goes on to command that these things are to be taught to our children, sitting in our house, walking on the road, laying down, getting up, tied on our hands, bound on our foreheads, on the doors of our house, on the city gates. So in all places, at all times. But notice again, that this begins with this commandment to love God above all else being written on our heart. And what is it that the priests are warned? What is it that the Lord warns them that the issue is? That you are not taking it to heart. And so as we see this similar language, we can see where God is going, that he is pointing to their beginnings, that from the beginning, his proclamation to love him above all else was to be written on our hearts. And yet here his priests are, the tribe of Levi, are not taking it to heart. And so, as part of this warning, the Lord says what will happen if they don't do this. And in fact, what he has already done. See, I will send the curse among you. Now, what curse could that be referring to? There's some small amount of debate about what that curse is referring to, but given the language and the context of what the Lord is challenging them with having failed to do, The curse which this is referring to is most likely that of Deuteronomy 28. 
And so I'll ask you to keep your finger there in Malachi, but this is too good for us to not look at together. And so if you'll turn back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28, but keep your finger there in Malachi because we still have several verses to get through there. But looking here to Deuteronomy 28, we see what the Lord is referring to as we start in the beginnings of Deuteronomy, this proclamation is given of, of the primary commandment, that being love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then now we move through all the other instruction being given to the people and the people putting this to practice and how they are to do so. And so here we come to the end of Deuteronomy and the Lord is giving this notice. He's, he's giving notice of what it will look like for them if they walk in accordance to this command that he's given them, of what blessing will come upon them, of how he will bless them. And we see this in Deuteronomy 28, starting verse 1. Now, if you faithfully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all his commands I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will put you far above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come and overtake you because... You obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and be blessed in the country. Your offspring will be blessed and your land's produce and the offspring of your livestock, including the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading bowl will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. And so blessed in all ways, at all times, in all places. You will be blessed. Why? Because you are walking in God's ways. This is what this looks like. And what is the purpose of this? We'll look there to verse 10. Then all the peoples of the earth will see that you bear the Lord's name and they will stand in awe of you. So the purpose of them being blessed is not for them to just enjoy and, and be thankful, although they should be thankful at God's provision and blessing. But the purpose of this is for God's glory and greatness to be made known among the nations. Now, look at what we see here. Verses 1 through 14 outline the blessing. But then what follows that is the instruction on what that looks like if they don't follow God's word and take it to heart. And that starts in verse 15. And if you just do a quick look and a quick glance, you'll see that it only takes 14 verses for God to outline what it looks like for them to follow his word and how great it will be. It's verses 15 through 68 are what consume the curse of what it looks like if they walk in disobedience to God's ways, if they don't take it to heart. So if they're faithful to follow his command, everything they do will be blessed. Now, here at the beginning of the curse, we see the exact opposite that you will be cursed in the city, cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading bowl will be cursed. Your offspring will be cursed. And your land's produce, the young of your herds, the newborn of your flocks, you will be cursed when you come in, cursed when you go out. And so we see what is best is following God's ways and walking in accordance to his will. And this is where the blessing occurs. But when we walk in disobedience to God's ways and pursuing ours, we see the chaos and the hurt and the brokenness that is, comes about because of that. And then he, he goes on to expound upon that, that everything they do is blessed because they are walking according to God's ways and purposes. They're blessed in all places at all times. Now, the contrast 
is that they are cursed in all places all the times, but that goes even that much further. The curse is not just the opposite of the blessing. It, the punishment of the curse goes to the extreme. As you skip down to uh, verse 45 through 47, you can see that outlined there. That all these curses will come, pursue, and overtake you until you are destroyed since you did not obey the Lord your God and keep the commandments and statutes that he gave you. These curses will be a sign and a wonder against you and your descendants forever because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joy and a cheerful heart, even though you had an abundance of everything. So what we see here in the command of Deuteronomy 6, the blessing and the curse here of Deuteronomy 28, and the Lord's decree here in Malachi is our next point for this morning, that God is always at work for His glory and that will be my good. Is that when he is glorified in me and through me, that is when I find what is best for me in this life. That when I pursue my ways and my will and my passions, that's when I find myself in verses 15 through 68. And seeing the, the curse and the chaos and the hurt and the brokenness that comes because of sin, that God is always at work for his glory, and that will be my good. So now you can turn now back to Malachi 2, and we hear, see here the Lord is clear that as long as his people walk according to his word, ways, and purposes, they will have everything they need and be blessed in what they do because they are in him. And this is the truth, that we will never find what we are looking for, what we're desiring, or uh, what we are in need of in this world. Sure, we may find temporary fulfillment or satisfaction, but nothing that this world provides will last. See, we approach each day only looking, what for, only looking for what will immediately satisfy or gratify us while God has created and called us to live for His eternal purposes. See, we will only find true life when we submit to this truth that the grand narrative of all of Scripture is pointing us to God's good design, and that is God's glory being made known in all the earth. And so as we look at this warning that the Lord is delivering to the priests, we see that God has already begun to levy the punishment for the priest's inability and their refusal to reflect God's glory. Now notice that the very reason that this punishment is being brought and offerings are no longer accepted is because of the people's inability to follow the Lord's command all the way back in Deuteronomy 6. You are not taking it to heart, God says. And as we keep reading, we see that the Lord expounds upon both his reason and his ways and shows just how disgusted he is with the sins of the people as we continue to read there in verse 3. Look, I am going to rebuke your descendants, and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away with it. So here we get a very vivid picture of just how seriously God takes the disobedience and sin of the people. And to really appreciate just how egregious this pronouncement would have sounded and been 
to the people, we need to remind ourselves of the priest's duties, specifically as it pertains to the handling of sacrifices. And we see this process carefully outlined, meticulously detailed for us in the book of Leviticus. And there we see the specific instruction as to the priest as to what the priest had to do with each major body part and how it had to be uh, cut and how it had to be offered up and burned uh, as a sacrifice and what pieces could be consumed, as well as careful instructions for what to do with the fat and the entrails, how to wash them, how to sacrifice them and burn them. And they're specifically given instruction on what to do with the waste. They had to carefully take it outside the camp. And again, this is to exhibit cleanness because the inside of the camp is now supposedly clean because of the sacrifice that's been offered. And this gives a representation, a a physical example of sin, that it had to be carefully taken outside the camp from what was clean to an area that was unclean, from what was tamed and made clean by the sacrifice and by the grace of God to what was wild and uninhabited, and take it outside the camp, or as now into the day that we're seeing in Malachi, outside the city, as they have a permanent dwelling here. And in Leviticus, they were still a nomadic people, but they're specifically given instruction to take it outside the camp so as to not make themselves unclean. And they did not want to cause the camp or the tabernacle to be unclean. Again, a very physical reminder of how hard it is to make us clean that God is is giving here. And so they didn't want to make themselves or the camp or the tabernacle unclean, so they had to take it outside. And once it was taken outside the camp, it had to be taken to a ceremonially clean place and burned. So there's a very meticulous process of making sure that nothing is made unclean. And then, not only that, they had to ceremonially clean the place where they would burn what was unclean. And all of this was to make sure that the tabernacle, the camp, the priests all maintained purity and cleanness. And so with that in mind, when we read God's words here, that he is going to spread animal waste over the face of the priest, and not just any animal waste, but specifically the waste from their sacrifices... We see the seriousness with which God is approaching this matter. And this brings us to our next point there on your outline this morning, that is disobedience always comes with great consequence. Disobedience always comes with great consequence. The very waste which the priests painstakingly made sure would not negate the sacrifice, or make them unclean is now going to be spread on their faces by God himself. This is not just to symbolize embarrassment, which it obviously is a picture of embarrassment, but God says, and you will be taken away with it. So just as what was unclean had to be ushered outside the camp and burned and done away with, God is saying, this is what you have done to yourself. This is what you have made yourselves. You are unclean, unfit to be in the temple and unfit to be in the city. You are now as good as waste, needing to be taken outside the camp and done away with. And the Lord continues to highlight this for them by pointing to the very one whom he chose to start the priesthood. 
that is Levi, and contrasting that with where they are now and how it looked when he started the priesthood. And so we, we see that as we continue reading in verse 4. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. And so even in this act of punishment, of making the priesthood unclean, making these priests unclean and saying that they are needing to be done away with is an act of grace. Because God says that his very purpose for doing this is not to do away with the priest, to, to completely do away with the priesthood or to make no way for the people to make sacrifices and be made clean, but that so that his covenant with Levi will continue. And so his purpose for making them unclean and doing away with the priesthood is so that he may continue this covenant, not to leave the people in ruin. Because, as we've seen, his name will be made great. And his intention for making his name great and the vehicle which he has chosen to make his name great is his people. And so this is pointing us to what we're getting ready to look at in the weeks ahead that he, in doing away with this sacrificial system, is preparing to make the great high priest his, the very sacrifice which he will use to make his people clean. So before we can see the goodness of God's ways, we need our eyes open to the brokenness of our ways. And this is what God is doing in breaking the people here and completely making the priesthood unclean. Is highlighting for them that the only way in which they've had to be made clean is now unclean and unfit. And so God is highlighting for them, and the same is true for us, that before we can see God's, the goodness of God's ways, we need our eyes open to the brokenness of our ways, which brings us to our next point this morning, and that is that God's word exposes our disobedience. See, God exposes our disobedience through his word so that we may see his good plans and purposes and realign ourselves in repentance. And so in exposing their sinfulness and in exposing the, the poor leadership of the priests, God is highlighting the issue as he gets ready to show the solution. And there might be some of us here this morning who this is exactly what the Lord is doing in your life right now. That he has been at work drawing you to himself and you have been pursuing your own temporal pleasures while God is offering you eternal fulfillment in him. And if that is you this morning, then my prayer is that you would see the good news in this message that we are reading today. That our world and our ways are defined by brokenness. And this has separated us from right relationship with God, leaving us, eternal, leaving us deserving of being thrown outside the camp, eternally separated from Him. But God stepped into our brokenness and made a way for us out of brokenness by sending His messenger, His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin that if we would turn and believe, we will be saved. And if that's you this morning, then my prayer is that you will respond to the Lord's drawing you at the end of this service. And I'll be more than happy to walk you through what that looks like. 
as we see God's good design as we continue reading. As the Lord uses Levi as an example for just how far the people have fallen. Just how far the priesthood has fallen. We continue reading there in verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave these to him. It called for reverence. And he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. And so here we see our next point for this morning. And that is God's word exposes our disobedience and propels us to action. As we look here at the response of Levi to God's calling and to God's covenant. My calling, my covenant called for reverence and he revered me. What God says there. My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave these to him because it called for reverence and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instructions on my word was in his mouth and nothing wrong was found on the lips. On his lips, he walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. As God's word exposes our sinful disobedience, this moves us to action and propels us to respond in humble repentance and submission to God's grace. And then in obedience, we spread his glory. But it doesn't stop there. As God's word exposes our disobedience and propels us to action, it then equips us to spread his glory. As God points to Levi as the example, he points to the fact that God's word was in his mouth and this directly equipped him to walk with God in peace and integrity. And then as he did so, what happened? And turned many from iniquity. If we're going to answer God's call to live life on mission, to make his name known, we have to be intentional to make God's word the center of our lives. Which is why we are so thankful for the fathers of the Reformation. That this is exactly why the priests and the people as a whole had lost their way. And why the church of Martin Luther's time and Jan Hus and John Wycliffe had lost their way is because God explicitly highlights the distinction between having a knowledge of his word and having a heart that has been transformed by his word. And God explicitly highlights this distinction between Levi and the priests in the next verses. As we see there starting back, picking back up in verse 7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should desire instruction from his mouth, because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people, because you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in your instruction. So this is what you should look like, that being Levi. This is why I started the priesthood from Levi. It's because he walked according to my ways and, lived, and, his, and my words were on his mouth and he led many from dis- destruction. And this is what you should look like, Levi. And this is what you do look like, the exact opposite. This is where he caused many to keep from stumbling, you cause many to stumble. 
And this is why I've invalidated your position. That's what God is saying here. And so you might be asking yourself this morning, if this is for the priests, what does that have to do with us? Well, thank you for asking. Because one of our distinctives as Baptists is that we believe in the priesthood of the believer. Meaning that there is no longer any other mediator needed between us and God. That we can all study God's word, we can all worship, and we can all pray directly through Jesus, our great high priest. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, if you're taking notes and you just want to write that out to the side there. Because in 1 Peter 2, 9, we read this. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we see there that just as it was the priest's job in the Old Testament to lead the people in declaring God's greatness among the nations, as those who have entered into a relationship with Jesus we have this same responsibility. And Paul says exactly that in his letter to the Corinthians, which reflects these same thoughts. If, if you're taking notes again, this is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21, where we read this. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself, that has brought us back to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So he has brought us back to himself through Christ and then given us the responsibility, the duty of reconciling and bringing others back through Christ and revealing this way, this good news to them. In verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he, has and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, all as those who have been forever impacted by God's grace to us in the cross, we have a responsibility, a duty, an imperative to reflect His goodness, grace, and glory to the world around us. Because it is the very thing that He has created us to do. And for our final point this morning, I want to point you back to verse 7 of Malachi chapter 2, what we read there. Because here we're overwhelmed with the truth that those who are living out the new life in Christ, as those who are living out the new life in Christ, as those who have the responsibility of priesthood, of being ministers of reconciliation, of reconciling others to Christ and showing them the good news of Christ on the cross, we must, we see there in verse 7, the lips of the priest should guard knowledge. And people should desire instruction from his mouth because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. And this brings our final point, which is actually two points that I coupled together this morning. That is that as those who live out the new life in Christ, we must guard the gospel and we must share or spread the gospel. 
We guard the gospel by committing ourselves to be people of the word, to being people who faithfully study God's word as well as live and repent according to God's word. And we spread the gospel by living life on mission, by submitting ourselves to God's will in all things at all times and humbly submitting ourselves to go where he tells us to go and to do what he tells us to do. And so some of us, we can't go or we don't feel called to go somewhere else, but God has called you to go where he has you right now. That that is exactly where he wants you. And he has purposed for you to make his name known there, first and foremost, in your families, in your workplaces, at the grocery store, wherever you go, that God has placed us in this time and place for his glory. And that is our good for us to glorify him. But even if you're not called to go somewhere else, you are called to send. Those who are not called to go are called to send because not all can go. The truth of the gospel is that those who are cannot go or are not called to go are called to send others. And so as we move into our time of response, I want to strongly encourage you to pray according to a couple of things. First and foremost, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but have felt the Lord drawing you to himself, I would love to talk to you about what that looks like and what the next steps might be for you. Number two, though, if you have a relationship with Jesus, What I want us to intentionally pray for is that the Lord would show us where he's at work around us and that we would join him in that work. And then I want us to pray that the Lord would prepare our heart that if another opportunity comes for us to go in obedience, that our trust would be fully in him to provide or to give according to his purposes. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these truths in your word this morning. And we thank you for what this day represents as uh, the sacrifices of the many who made sure, who saw this conviction from your word that Jesus is our great high priest and that we need no mediator other than him. And we thank you for the sacrifices of the many that made sure that we could have a copy of your word in our own language to establish it as our only authority. God, as we move into this time of response, I pray that you would move us to obedience, that you would first help us to see how you are at work around us and what areas or what influences you have already given us for your kingdom, and that we would become more intentional to seek you in those purposes. And then, God, I pray that you would stir our hearts and prepare us for whatever future opportunities you may have for us to either go or give for your purposes. And then help us to humbly submit to you and trust in your provision to those means and to that end. And then again, God, we pray for anyone here who might not know you, that they would see this good news, that they would see the brokenness that is this world and how our hearts are infected by sin, but that you offer us a cure in Jesus and that you would draw them to yourself and move them to respond in obedience to you. 
And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.